Hi, everyone, and welcome to Badass Women at Any Age. This is your host, Bonnie Marcus, and I just want to say from the get-go that I'm so excited about the show today. My guest, Sky Bergman, is a badass trailblazer when it comes to aging. She's an accomplished, award-winning photographer, and her film, Lives Well Lived, with 40 inspiring stories of older adults, is now playing on PBS, and you can check out when it will air in your area. Sky also told me it's on Amazon, it's on iTunes, so you can certainly check that out. Um, this is Sky's directorial debut, and it is an important documentary that celebrates the lives of our elders. Her fine artwork is included in permanent collections at the LA County Museum of Art, Brooklyn Museum, Seattle Art Museum, Santa Barbara Museum of Art, and the Bibliothèque Nationale de France. Her commercial work has appeared on book covers from Random House and Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, Inc., and magazine spreads in Smithsonian, Arthur Fromer's Budget Travel, Reader's Digest, and Archaeology Odyssey. Sky is currently a professor of photography and video at Cal Poly State University in San Luis Obispo. And as we were talking before we started recording, you're just up the road from me, <laughs> from Santa Barbara. Welcome, Sky. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I really have been looking forward to this conversation. And I'm really curious where your personal journey began. How did you arrive at this project? of doing this film and your inspiration? Well, thank you for asking me that. I, I really, my inspiration and everything stemmed from my grandmother. And um, my grandmother was an amazing woman. And at the age of 99, she was still working out at the gym. And I thought, <laughs> oh my goodness, I better film her because nobody's going to believe that at almost 100, she's still working out at the gym. Uh, she didn't start working out until she was 80. So it's never too, <laughs> never too late to start something new, including working out at the gym. And you know, as she was approaching 100, I was in my late 40s and looking at that big half a century mark and thinking about what did I want the rest of my life to look like? And to be honest, there just weren't really good role models out there in the media in terms of aging. Everything that I was seeing was all about anti-aging and not about how to age well. And I thought that my grandmother was such an inspiration to me of how to age well that I came back from her birthday, her 100th birthday party, and where I had filmed her working out at the gym, and I thought, I want to find other people out there that are like my grandmother. So I sent an email blast out to all my friends, family, and all the alum that I've taught over the years that I've been teaching at Cal Poly. And I said, here's a little one-minute clip of my grandmother at the gym. And if you have somebody in your life like her, please nominate them for this project. And I, I didn't know it was going to be a film at that point. I just thought it was going to be some okay. project. Okay. And I was just inundated by heartwarming nominations. It was really wonderful. And that, that started everything. That's really incredible. I know that when I started my project, writing my last book, Not Done Yet, about women over 50 in the workplace, I put a similar email blast out and uh, didn't get that kind of response. So I think that as people approach 80 plus 90, 100, there is some kind of pride in reaching that age and and wanting to talk about 
how they got there. Absolutely. And I think it wasn't just that. I think the nice thing was I was putting a call for nominations out to say, who is your role model? So maybe some mm -hmm. of these people didn't even realize that they were a role model to somebody that was younger than them. And, and that was also a treat, too, that they were in some ways honored for being a role model just by being nominated for the project. Right. So how many nominations did you get? You ended up with 40 stories. I did. And I would say that on my first round, I probably got well over 100 nominations. And part of what I did, I, I, I looked at what were the stories, and there were some amazing stories that came in. But I also, once I realized that I was going to create a film out of this, then I really started looking for a diverse group of stories. So that played a factor into who made it into the final cut and the final 40, as well as an interesting story. And then the other thing is, as you know from being a podcast host, there are many people that have incredible stories, but not everybody can tell them. And so it was also about finding those people with these amazing stories who were good storytellers. When did you realize that this had to be a film? Well, interestingly enough, I interviewed probably about a dozen people at the point that I realized I wanted it to be a film. It actually, my first interview was with a Santa Barbara um, resident, uh, Jesse Alexander, who's a really well-known photographer down there. And, and I thought it was just going to be this web series. I wasn't sure what it was going to be really, but I just knew I had a passion for wanting to collect these stories and collect this wisdom from people who were 75 plus. And I was interviewing a woman here in San Luis Obispo, Marion Wolf. She was an amazing woman. She was born in Berlin, Germany, and fled to Austria. This was before the war started, and then came over to the United Kingdom on the very first kinder transport out of Austria. At that time, the Quakers in the United Kingdom were rescuing Jewish children. They rescued 10,000 Jewish children, and she was one of them. And she was telling me her story, and she still had that cardboard number that they had put around her neck to identify her as one of the kids. They had all, everyone had a number. And she still had that cardboard number. And there was something about that moment. I still get chills when I think about it. And I realized that in addition to collecting these amazing words of wisdom, I was also collecting a lot of stories, personal firsthand accounts of things mm -hmm. that otherwise would be lost. And at that moment, I realized I really needed to put it together as a feature length film. Now, you didn't have a film background. You didn't let, you didn't, <laughs> but you, I mean, you're an accomplished photographer, but you didn't have a film background. You didn't let that stop you at all. No, I, you know, I think that for me, I have never let not having done something before, not having enough money ever stop me from doing something that I've been passionate about. I always believe that if you have a passion for something and I have a lot of tenacity and, um, that, and resilience that you can make it happen. And so I have always been of the mindset, instead of saying why, say why not? And the worst that would happen is I would fall flat and nothing would happen. And the best that would happen is it's on PBS. You know? So yeah, I think, fabulous. and certainly that wasn't an aspiration. It was just to create a film and then just take it one step and it, you know, after the next. And really, it's just a matter of um, that those smaller uh, steps can lead to something really big in the end. And what challenges did you face along the way putting this project together? 
Well, I mean, having, as you mentioned, having never done a film before, I really didn't know exactly where to start in terms of putting a film like this together. And I had to learn a lot of things. So I had to learn how to edit, how to buy historic film rights and music rights and all those kind of things that go along with making a film. And then once I did have a film together, it was a lot of interesting maneuvering to find out about how do you distribute a film. So it's lovely to put something together like this, but then how do you get it out there in the world so that it, you have a wide audience that actually has a chance to see it? So that was a whole other learning experience. And the university that I teach at, Cal Poly, has a motto, which is learn by doing. And I feel like I have lived that motto through this film. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, most people would would just find this whole thing daunting and try to find somebody to do it for them if they could. But what particular challenges did you face along the way? I think one of the challenges was um, coming up with financing because as an artist, I know that a lot of times people will take advantage of artists and say, can you work for me on this for free? It'll give you good exposure. And I have never been one of those people to ever do that. I always pay everyone that works with me. That was very important to me from the get-go. And so I had to get a little bit creative about how was I going to finance a project like this. And one of the things that I did was look at, I'm an empty nester and I have a house and I can rent out rooms in my house. And that's what I did. I rented out rooms in my house through Airbnb. And that was how I raised the funds to actually create the film. Because I, again, I didn't want money to be an obstacle. I've never let that stand in the way. And I think sometimes you just have to think outside of the box in terms of how you can make things happen. So it was kind of a an, an unique way to raise funds. And, uh, and anyone that stayed at my house, I would tell them, you know, you're staying here is contributing to this film. And I would tell them about the film. So I also was increasing my fan base as I was doing this. And yeah. it was yeah. really, it was a really nice way to do it. it. So all along the way, you were kind of, you were building momentum for this. How, how long did it take you to pull this all together, start to finish? Well, to get to this point, it's been 10 years. But just yeah, to yeah. go back in time, it was, I really, the gestation of kind of the idea and coming up with things and then coming up with the questions that I was going to ask everyone was about six months. And then it was four years of filming the 40 people that were in the film and then another year of editing. And then we had a year on a film festival circuit, a year of theatrical release. And then, you know, it's kind of that, it's kind of been that trajectory. Um, good things are worth waiting for, and it's taken a while to get to this point, but it was well worth the wait. And when did you hear from PBS that they would, you know, want to include this? I, I would say that that process was a couple of years ago, and certainly things got waylaid because of the pandemic. Um, yeah, but I yeah. think in the end, the timing was really wonderful. We were launched it right around Grandparents' Day, and it'll be it, it'll be on PBS for the next three years, which is just lovely. And so I think that it it came out when it was supposed to. I, I have this sense that things happen for a reason, and that that it took this long for it to be released. I think it was the perfect timing for it to land on PBS right at this moment. Are you surprised at the reaction the film is getting? Oh, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day and she said, can you believe the film's on PBS? And and I just said, you know, mom, I, I have, a, it's been amazing every step along the way. I mean, the first film festival that I got into, I remember the joy of that moment, the first theatrical release that we had. I remember being there for that. And, you know, every step along the way, it's just been an, a, an incredible journey to be part of. 
And you must have brought together a talented team that either you knew about or you networked for? Um, I had two women that really helped me who have been friends of mine, Catherine Trujillo, who did a lot of the historical footage research, and Gail Force, who's a graphic designer and incredibly talented. And both of them were really people that I leaned on quite a bit and helped me out um, in terms of every time I would edit something, I would ask them, what do you think of this? And they would be brutally honest, and that's good. And then really, I wasn't afraid to to reach out to other filmmakers to ask for help or to ask for guidance. I think that that's something that has really helped me out along the way is not being afraid to ask and to say, I don't know how to do something and you seem to be doing it well. Can you give me some advice? And I am paying that forward to a lot of other filmmakers now who see them on PBS and want to know how do you get there. And so I think that that's the way it should be, is that we pay it forward. But you have to be willing to also admit when you're in the situation that I was in early on that I didn't know what I was doing and that it was okay to ask for help. And uh, and people are very willing and very open to help you out. So that that was wonderful. Do you think that gave you a little bit of an advantage in that way of being the newbie? Um, I don't know that it gave me an advantage. I think that I always have approached the way that I have worked by being kind to people. And even when I would reach out to somebody, I wouldn't just reach out and say, I want to know this from you. I would reach out by first, you know, complimenting them on something that was the reason that I was reaching out to them. So I think the advantage was just that I'm kind and that I um, knew how to approach people maybe and that I wasn't afraid to approach people because the worst that'll happen was I never got an email response back from them. But that happens so infrequently. And more often than not, I think that people know when you're genuine and you're authentic. And also because the film, I think the other reason that people responded was the film was really a labor of love and it started with the love of my grandmother. And I think that people could sense that. I think that was true, not only for the people who I called on and asked for help, but also for the people that I interviewed. They knew that I was doing it with really this very authentic reason in mind and and out of a a love of my grandmother. And so they opened up. Their stories were remarkable and they opened up to me in a way. I mean, we had very conversational interviews and uh, and I think that that was why, because they could sense what the purpose was and and why I was making the film. Yeah. You you approached them through an emotional... Right. I think it was whenever you, you know, again, if you're honest and you're open... I think that that is always the best way. And I, I have learned, you know, if I if I don't know how to do something, it's okay to admit that I don't know how to do it. You're better off doing that than trying to pretend like you know what you're doing and, and blundering through. I think it's better to just say, I need help. And I'm open to that. So yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, I was there ever a point where you doubted that this was going to come to fruition? Um, You know, I think that we all have those doubts. I would get up at four in the morning and start editing before I would start teaching. And some mornings I would think, why am I doing this? But my love of my grandmother and then all the people that I interviewed became, I like to say, have 40 new grandparents as a result of doing this film. (laughs) And I think that knowing that I was doing it for them really kept me focused and kept me going. So I think that... I was lucky in that. And I would say to anyone, if anyone wants to do a project like this, like for me, 
it, it, I will always work on films or projects that have something that is optimistic about them because I eat, live, and breathe whatever I'm working on. And I really, their stories of resilience have so resonated with me and, and have kept me going through the pandemic. So I think that I was lucky to work on a, on a project like this. And that was really what kept me going. Are, are there a couple of memorable stories that, that you can share besides your grandmother's? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I, I fell in love with so many of the people in the film. And I would say that my, I know you're not, not supposed to have favorites, but one of my favorite people was uh, Lucky Louie, Dr. Lou Tadone. And he would make uh, fresh mozzarellas every morning for his daughter's deli. He was a pediatrician. And then when he retired, he started making mozzarella every morning. And he was just an amazing guy. And, and I think that some of the things that he said really stick with me, which is like he would say things like happiness is a state of mind. You can be happy with what you have or miserable with what you don't have. You decide. And, mm. you know, I, I think about that often when we think about, you know, sometimes we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I give myself an attitude adjustment. And I think the other person who really also kind of spoke to that was uh, Evie Justison, who talked about the fact that there are many times in our life that we can't control what's happening around us, like this at, in this particular moment with the pandemic, but what we can control is our attitude about how we deal with those things. And that has been something that has really helped me get through some tougher times. And so I, I feel super lucky that I have all these 40 people that whose wisdom I can count on and, you know, recall. And that has helped me move forward many days. Do you notice that there is a common theme or attributes that these people have? Absolutely. I would say there were three things that they all had in common. I think that this was really important for me to learn as well, which was, first of all, everyone needs a sense of purpose. And I think in this country, we think about we're going to retire and that'll be our golden years. But if you don't have a sense of purpose of what you're going to do in life, it's really, that's difficult. And everyone in the film had a sense of purpose, whether it was like Lou getting up to make mozzarellas for his daughter's deli or uh, Rose Albano Ballestero, who still teaches uh, English as a second language. Or, I mean, everybody had something that they were doing, learning something new, giving back in some way. And then I think, um, secondly, is that they all had a good sense of community and it didn't necessarily need to be family, it could be friends. And even during the pandemic, they still kept that sense of community, whether it was through Zoom or through outdoor meetings, but they weren't isolated. And that is especially has become a really big issue right now in this moment. And then, you know, think thirdly, is we talked about this sense of resilience. They were all people that saw life as the glass is half full rather than half empty. And I know that's a cliche, but when I hear their stories of some of the things that these people went through and yet they still remain so positive, it's, it's really remarkable. And I think that that sense of being able to look back on their life and yet still remain positive and look forward, I think is really important. I mean, look, Lucky Louie is a great example because no matter what happened to him in life, he would find a way to put a positive spin on it and say how lucky he was. And that mm -hmm. is amazing. You know, again, it's all in your sense of how you look at things and your attitude. Yeah. I, well, there, you know, there's research. There was research done by Becca Levy at Yale that shows that a positive mindset about aging can result in living seven and a half years longer. I mean, it really affects our longevity. And it seems like, you know, such a common theme 
with these vibrant people that you interviewed. It definitely was. But I would say that, you know, part of that is also feeling like you have that sense of purpose. I think that's partly why they can remain positive because they still feel relevant and they still feel useful. And I think we all want to feel that sense of, of purpose in our lives, no matter what age we are. Yeah, and our society challenges that, Sky. You know, when you reach a certain age, you're not viewed as relevant. It, it just sounds like these people are really owning the power of their age and just putting a stake in the ground that says, I'm, I'm relevant. You know, I may be 85, 90, 100, but what I do, who I am matters. Absolutely. I would agree with you 100%. And I think that that is, it, it is a challenge as we age to continue to stay relevant. And, um, but I think that all the people that I interviewed, I think, are figuring out a way to make that happen. Uh, it sounds like a lot of them are there. <laughs> have achieved it already. I, I believe so. They, I mean, but it, you know, it's not, it's not like you achieve it and you stop. I think it's something yeah. where you achieve it and you continue to strive to stay relevant. I think that that's just um, part of that cycle of moving through life is continually evolving. And I think, you know, a number of people in the film talked about changing careers and that, it, you know, it's not too late to change a career and do something new. And I feel like that's partly what I'm doing in my life right now. I'm getting ready to retire from teaching after a 27-year career so that I can go into filmmaking full-time. And it's sort of like jumping off the cliff and doing something new. But I think that it's, you know, you you just because I'm 55 doesn't mean that I shouldn't start something totally different and totally new. So here I am, um, you know, practicing what I'm preaching in the film which is to really take that risk and to do something new and to challenge myself in a, in a different way and have a different sense of purpose. Now, I also read that you're developing educational curriculum around this. Absolutely. We've been working with high schools and universities to do intergenerational projects. So we show the film to older adults and to students. And then I took about six months formulating the questions that I used in the Lives Will Live film. And we use that with the students and the older adults as a starting point to have a conversation. Because many times when you just sit down with somebody, it's hard to start that dialogue. But if you have a framework within which to make that happen, it's a lot easier. And then we do a big wrap party at the end of the quarter or semester. And we've been doing that for the last four years. And this last year, we went online and we're doing it with um, Senior Planet, which is part of AARP. And we're continuing that moving forward. And then PBS Learning Media is also going to put something on their website, I believe, in November for K through 12 so that it can be put into the curriculum as part of the an intergenerational project can be put into the curriculum as part of a K through 12 setting. Yeah, I, it's so important because we are so ageist. We make all these assumptions about different generations. And, you know, that affects our behavior. And it just keeps this ageism moving forward. Yeah. And I feel like with this project... Getting stronger. Right. I feel like with this intergenerational project, which we've been working on for a number of years, that we're combating ageism one story and one connection at yeah. a time. And that's so important because as you mentioned, the ageism is in both directions. But one thing that I read while I was doing the research for my film, which really just struck a nerve for me, I read in the Huffington Post that the last hundred years is the first time in human history that we've looked to anyone other than our elders for advice. 
And I was floored by that because I grew up with my elders. I grew up with my grandparents and even my great grandmother. And to take a step back from that and realize that most people didn't have that in their lives. And I can't imagine not having, not having been surrounded by that. You know, it, it really, um, kind of shifted my thought process in terms of what I could do with the film and what the potential out there was for making these intergenerational connections happen because the students and the older adults see the film and they see these firsthand accounts and they see people when they were younger and all of a sudden it reframes the way that the students in particular look at aging and look at uh, somebody's life as a long life and they, they see people who were their age and where they have now come to and it makes them more curious. And you know the best thing that happens is they, they come away from this project with a new best friend, one of the people, one of the students that did it over the pandemic, when we were doing the rap party, he said, you know, this is the first new friend I've made during the pandemic. And I thought, how great is that, that his first new friend is an older adult and, and how wonderful. And it was through Zoom. And, you know, these things are possible to make these very interesting and long lasting connections when you know how to frame it and when you know how to start that process going. Yeah, it's so important, Sky. And I could see how you could do this in corporate America as well. Yes. And we are starting to because do that, actually. <laughs> we are doing yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> that is the next goal. I think now that we have the stamp of approval of PBS, which is a, a monumental stamp of approval yeah, at this yeah. point, we're working with corporations to do um, diversity, equity, and inclusion training and based on, on ageism and aging. And doing the same thing, even within a corporate level of looking at how can we connect the younger and older generation, even within a corporation, and how do we break that ice and make that happen? And what are some of the stereotypes that exist? And to break down those stereotypes. Right. Now, I mentioned that in, in my book, Not Done Yet, about women over 50 in the workplace. Um, it's so important to get out of your comfort zone and form these one-on-one one -on -one relationships. But how wonderful it would be if if your company facilitated that intergenerational networking, if it facilitated intergenerational mentoring, because we can learn from each other. Yes, absolutely. And there, that is happening more and more. There are many more intergenerational projects that are happening, not just, you know, within companies, but also outside of companies. There are, there's, it's really, there is a big push for that. And I'm very happy to see that and very happy to be part of that new movement. A couple of minutes ago, when you were mentioning how you grew up with older generation around you, I mean, how fortunate was that? But it's pretty much cultural, isn't it? I mean, you look at other cultures, for instance, Asian cultures. I look at the way my, my son-in-law, who is um, Asian American, grew up. His grandmother raised him. She was in the house. You know, she was really the, the alpha in that house. But we've lost that. We have lost that. And I think that although in some cases it's coming back a little bit, maybe for financial reasons in some cases, but I think there are more families that are coming together. And I think one of the positive things that happened out of this pandemic was there were a lot of grandparents that were helping take care of the kids while they were all home, you know, and I saw that happen more often than not, where the, you know, the family became their own pod and their own unit. And that was a lovely thing to see. And, and what a what a, an amazing thing to have happen out of such a, a really 
terrible time that we were in. But that, I think, was one of the positive things, was bringing families back together and kind of reintegrating that um, intergenerational family together in a, in a new, unique kind of way. And it gives that older adult purpose. They're not, you know, they're not exported assisted living nursing home. They're part of the family. And they have they have responsibilities as part of the family. Yes. Again, like you said, it's all about having that sense of purpose that I think is so vitally important. I, I'm so inspired by by what you've done. I mean, this is where I'm doing all my research now. And so I, I love the fact that you decided that you wanted to do this project, that really nothing held you back and you just charged forward with it. Um, and so I guess my final question to you is, what advice do you have for others to follow their dreams? Well, I think that's a that's a really good question. And, you know, I think our dreams are constantly changing. I mean, my dream now is very different than it was 10 years ago. But I think that, you know, I had this big idea of what I wanted to do. And sometimes the big ideas can seem overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. sometimes breaking it down into smaller sort of bite-sized chunks that you know you can achieve, I, those achievable goals that then will lead you to the bigger goal, I think that that is a really good way to follow your passion so that you don't say, I'm going to climb this mountain today after you've never even done anything. I mean, you know, one little step at a time, I think, can lead to getting to the top of the mountain. And that's really... A, a good way to not get discouraged, I think, is taking it in smaller stages. And then also create a good support system for yourself. I mean, I had these two women friends who were amazing in terms of supporting me. And when I felt like I was, you know, at a low point, I would call either one of them up and they would pick me back up. And I think we need our, our friends and our support group to help us um, through some of those tougher times and to remind us of what our passion is and why we're doing something. And then, you know, the other thing is, how do you find your passion? I don't know, try a lot of different things and see where when something resonates and it feels right, you'll know it and you'll know that you just have to do that thing. I mean, that was what it was for me with this film, where, like you said, this is my first film. I'd never even done video before. I did videos of my grandmother cooking. That was the beginning of my foray into filmmaking. And But I knew when I started this that I had, it gave me a sense of purpose and it gave me a, that I could feel that passion that I had for it because I knew it was going to be a long haul. And taking it in smaller pieces and kind of working up to something bigger than I ever dreamed, I think was a good way to approach it. Right. And not putting um, the kibosh on it from the beginning. <laughs> Obviously, Sky, you have incredible talent. You, you also have tenacity. Yes, I would say that um, my mom would agree with you that I have tenacity <laughs> and that when I, I, am, I am very focused when I get onto a project that I know I really want to do and want to achieve, um, I don't let much stand in the way of making that happen. And again, that, that's, it can be very humbling at times because like I said before, it means sometimes asking for help um, saying I don't know how to do something, but I know I want to get from point A to point B and how asking for help along the way to get there. And I think all of those things, when you have a passion and a sense of purpose, you can make that happen if you really, you know, if you have that tenacity. And that certainly qualifies you as a badass, I got to say. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I love what you're doing, Sky. Thank you so much for being on Badass Women at Any Age. Tell the audience where they can learn more about you and the film. Yeah, sure. So our website is lives-well-live.com. But if you just Google Lives Well Lived, we are the first thing that comes up. And it's on the PBS website as well. So if you go to pbs.org and just type in Lives Well Lived, you'll find us there too. Thank you. And thank you so much for the important work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's just been a, a real treat, Bonnie. I really appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. If you liked the show, please leave a rating or review and subscribe. And I want to thank my fabulous producer, IamMusicGroup.com. And check out my new audio book for Not Done Yet. I am so excited because I narrated this myself, which was a labor of love. And the book is now available in audio, hardcover, and on Kindle. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Bonnie at BonnieMarcusLeadership.com. Till next week, be bold and be your badass self.